Hey, ladies, before y'all sit down, I wonder if all of the ladies that are planning on going to the retreat would stand and, and let us just kind of acknowledge you this morning. I know we have a lot that work back in our children's ministry, but if you're here in the auditorium, y'all stand. And just as a way of saying, hey, church family, just as a way of saying to them, we're, we said a prayer, we said amen, but we're going to keep praying. Give them a round of applause. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Curtis. All right. I want to um, I want to share something with y'all this morning. I think it's probably appropriate and maybe even time um, that I go into a little bit more detail about this reset series that we're in and how it came about and why I felt like the Lord was so strongly, so strongly was encouraging me. Uh, he was telling me, I want you to share this uh, with your church family. I, um, I believe that walking with God in a very real and intimate relationship is not the best way to live. It's the only way to live. I believe that, that God is real and that God loves and that God involves himself in our lives and that we can have this intimacy with him. I'm talking about the God of the universe. And so I begin to wonder why there are so many people who only want a little bit of God. They, they only want enough of him to get them into heaven, and there's so much more than that. They, they, they only want enough of him to keep them safe or so that he might provide for them, but there's so much more than that. And for years and years now, I've had the the joy and the privilege of teaching God's word and, and, and Sunday after Sunday and in group after group and in, on so many different occasions, I, I would talk about God's goodness and God's love and God's involvement and God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's mercy. And I would also begin to tell people, this is how you can experience that. And God has a blueprint and he if you'll follow his blueprint, you'll experience God in supernatural ways, unexplainable ways. And yet I see so many people who really don't want to delve that deep in their relationship with Jesus. And I ask myself, why? How could that possibly be? And this isn't something that's been going on in my life for a couple of months. It's for years and years and years that I've asked myself, why in the world would people not want to surrender wholly to the Lord, not give all of who they are and all that they have to Him and experience His power and experience His love in their life. Why in the world wouldn't they want to do that? And the only conclusion that I could come up with was, it's, you know, it's just a choice that they make. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's afraid of what they might have to give up if they were a follower of Jesus. And so I just keep preaching, you know, and keep teaching, and I keep talking about God's plan and God's provision and what God wants for you. And, 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 and I see so little difference in too many lives. Then I, 
I, as I often do, especially when I have a little bit more free time, I like to listen. I do more listening to sermons online and, uh, than I do reading. I just can't sit still long enough to read. And I, the last time I had a little time off, which was a month ago, I guess, I took a week, and I was listening to a sermon series by Andy Stanley. Now, Andy Stanley pastors a church in Atlanta. Many of you have heard of him. He's a very, very well-known pastor. It's a very large church. It's called North Point Church, and their mission is to be a church where unchurched people love church, to be a church where unchurched people are comfortable. Now, I believe that Andy Stanley's doing exactly what God wants him to do, and he is doing an incredible job in reaching many, many, many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's never been our mission here. Our mission has been more about growing up believers and equipping believers and allowing believers to grow stronger and stronger and stronger in their relationship with the Lord. You know him better. You, you're used by him. You, you go out and you, you sacrifice and but as I began to listen to the series that he was teaching, it occurred to me that one of the reasons, or maybe the reason for you, that you're not really ready to sell out, you're not really ready to surrender all, you're not really ready to give everything that you are and have to God, to experience him in his fullness, is maybe it's because there has been some confusion in trying to reconcile what you've been taught about God and what your life experience is. I had never thought about that before. And I began to consider that maybe there's a lot of people in here who haven't experienced what they were taught. We do have a tendency in church to preach a message like this. Come to Jesus... Life's going to be good. Because we talk about love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and, and all of those things, and we talk about his protection and we talk about his provision. I want to tell you my experience. I, I don't think there's any other way to live than to, than to give all that you are to Jesus. I, I don't think there's any other way to live than to surrender wholly to him, to grow in your relationship with him, for that relationship to be very, very real. And I want to suggest to you this, that that kind of relationship is harder, not easier. Because God calls on us to do things that we can't do on our own. He calls on us. He wants to use us in a way that we must rely on Him. He wants us to give Him everything. He doesn't want us to live a life where we have a foot in the world and a foot in church or a foot in the, in the spiritual, and a, and, and a foot of, he wants us to give him everything. And so as I listened to the series that, that Andy was teaching, I thought to myself, that's what our church needs. We need, to, we need to, to address some of those areas of confusion, some of those areas where, where we don't have an understanding some of those areas where we were told one thing, but our experience has been another. Some of those areas where, 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 where 
we begin to ask ourselves, why won't God answer my prayer? I prayed for that. I prayed fervently for that. I prayed honestly for that. I prayed much for that. I prayed loud for that. Or, or, or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to the good people in my life? And, 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 and our experience in those things is, is not reconciling. It's not exactly what was taught. And I thought that this series answered some of those questions. For example, in our first week, we talked about this question. What do you do with Jesus? And the point of that was before you begin answering these other questions, you've got to answer that question. Before you start wrestling with why do bad things happen to good people, you've got to wrestle with what, who is Jesus and what am I going to do with Jesus? And before you start wrestling with some of the questions of life, why won't God answer my prayer? Why can't I sense his presence in my life? Why aren't I experiencing what Pastor Dale says I should be experiencing? Before you start wrestling with some of those questions, you have to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? And, and, and who's he going to be in my life? And it's like the Apostle Paul said to those Greek philosophers on that on that hill of reckoning. Jesus has given us proof of who he is. He is a historical figure. There's no question about that. He is someone who, who predicted how he would die. He predicted his death. He predicted his resurrection. And then he pulled it off. And there's no question about that. I know that there's no question about that. Because I know that there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men and women who are a lot smarter than all of us who've been trying to disprove that for 2,000 years. And it's never been disproven. Jesus Christ predicted his death and resurrection and he pulled it off. And so in considering who is Jesus, we have to consider the historical facts that we know to be true about Jesus. And as you wrestle with that question, I ask you to consider the historical facts. And then last week, we, we kind of looked at a little bit different perspective as we looked at our Heavenly Father and His love for us and His faithfulness in our lives and, and how we have to admit that for many of us, we have taken advantage of our Father's goodness, of our Father's provision. And we have taken it and we've run off with it and we've wasted it. And when we come to ourselves, we find that our lives are in a mess. And we looked at the story of the prodigal son and the Bible says he came to himself and he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my father and maybe he'll let me be one of his servants. I'm not worthy to be a son. Maybe he'll be one of his servants. Well, maybe I can be one of his servants. And he made his way back to his father and was surprised to see that the father was anxiously waiting for him. And that when he and when we are willing to come before the father and admit our desperate need for him, when we're willing to come before the father and admit that we have wronged him, that, that there has been sin in our lives, that that's what he's waiting to hear so that he can reconcile us together with him. 
that you don't get cleaned up and go to God. You go to God as you are. Some ideas and some truths from a little bit different perspective to help us to understand, to, to rid us of some of the confusion and maybe some of the misunderstanding. Today, we want to look at something really very briefly, and it's this idea of, is the origin of our faith important to us? Is the historical facts of our faith, how it, how it got started, its beginning, the origin of our faith, is that something that's important to us? And more importantly, is it relevant in my life today? You might not realize this, but the three... Uh-oh. I'm not working. Vic, I'm going to have to count on you, buddy. There you go. You might not realize this, the three largest faith traditions in the world really began in the same place at the same time with the same person, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And in their origins and in their beginnings, there were some things that they agreed upon. All three of these faith traditions, the three largest faith traditions in the world today, they agreed upon this, that God was created, that, that there was one God, and that God created the world, and he created it perfectly. They agree on, on Adam. They all recognize Adam. They all understand that Adam was the first man, all three of those faith traditions. And they agree and they recognize that, that, that sin or wrongdoing or disappointing God, that, that that entered into the world through this man, Adam. Adam is where kind of the, 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 the wrong choices or the bad decisions, it's where it started. And he actually passed that down to his children and, the, and his children to their children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, till it even touches our lives today. And they all agree on that. We talked a little bit about that last week. They agree also that man has come into God's perfect creation and he's messed it up. <laughs> now we could talk about our messed up world. But we don't have to talk about our messed up world for you to understand that that's true because there's not a one of us in this building who wouldn't say, you know what, there's at least a part of my life that's messed up. And man comes into this perfect environment, this perfect creation where God has, has created it and he's, and he's just kind of messed things up. And they all agree on this, that, that this one true God... Rather than leaving man alone in his mess to deal with the mess that man created, that God chooses to demonstrate and reveal his love to us by offering us a way out of the mess. All three faith traditions believe that. All three agree with that. All three uh, uh, traditions agree that it was it was through one man. It was through one man that God began his involvement in our mess. And that man's name is Abraham. 
Now, it's with the man Abraham that these three traditions begin to separate. And we see Judaism going one way and Islam going another way. And years later, Christianity would even go a whole different way. But they agree that it all began with Abraham. Now, the reason that it's important that we talk about this and why I bring it up today is because it's in dealing with Abraham and learning about Abraham that we see a conversation that took place between God and Abraham that takes this out of the context of the historical and makes it very, very personal in our lives. A conversation that took place between God and Abraham that touches on the very nature of the relationship that God desires to have with you and that God desires to have with men. It's a, it's a, it's a conversation that deals with some of the questions that we have. Is there a God? Does he care about me? Does he involve himself in my life? Does he help me when I'm in trouble? Will he, does he care about this mess? Will he help me get it cleaned up? Those kind of questions. Now, some people don't view God that way at all. If the answer to those questions is yes, he loves you, yes, he'll involve himself, they don't view that God that, they don't view God that way at all. Now, I, I, I want to ask you, I want you to think about somebody in your life that's very, very close to you. You love them dearly. And you have a very tight relationship, and you spend a lot of time... It might be your children. I can't imagine a greater love than that. And maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your BFF. Is that how it goes? BBF? BFF? But it's somebody that's close, somebody that you love dearly. And in your interaction with this person, you have given them sound advice or sound counsel or sound direction. And you realize that they haven't taken that counsel, you haven't take, they haven't taken that direction, and they've gone off and they've made a total mess of something. Maybe it's you, you counsel them about a relationship. Don't get in that relationship. I'm telling you right now, don't get in that relationship. Or maybe it's something about, uh, about their education, or maybe it's something that uh, has to do with morality, and you said, don't do that. That's not best for you. You don't do that. And they went off and they did it anyway, and you find them, you come upon them one day, and they're right in the middle of this mess. Now, how do you respond to that? Now, my, my uh, belief is, is that every single one of you that is in this room this morning would respond with compassion. In other words, what you wouldn't do is say, I told you better. Look at this mess you made. You're on your own. Clean it up. After you get it all cleaned up, if you want to give me a call, that's fine. After you get it all cleaned up, if if you want to come sit and, 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 and renew or, or reestablish or restore our relationship, well, that would be fine. You wouldn't do that. But there's many of you who think that that's the way God acts. That we, that, that we get counsel from him, that we get guidance from him, that we get direction from him, that we go off and we make a mess of things. And, and some of us are actually afraid. We... 
God, God's so mad at me. God doesn't want to help me. God doesn't want to be involved in my life anymore. I, if I can get this all cleaned up, then maybe, maybe he'll restore that relationship. And in saying that, listen, we know that we wouldn't do that. And so there's this, there's this kind of connotation, maybe indirectly, that maybe we think we're more compassionate than God. Maybe we're wiser than God. And we know that that's not true. God won't leave you to fix your own mess. But he runs to us because he loves us to get involved in our life so that our story becomes a part of his story, which is what our ladies are going to be talking about this weekend. All three faith traditions believe that God involved himself in the mess and God began to offer a way to us to clean the mess, that God involved himself in a mess that we created. And he started that process, he started that experience with Abraham. Abraham, a normal guy, worked in the family business, made a bunch of bad mistakes. Life was a mess. Normal, right? But God chose Abraham, a man who had all kinds of problems, a man who was not necessarily religious. He was just a normal guy. And here's what we learn from the writer of the book of Genesis, that God says to Abraham. Genesis 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to a land that I will show you. God appears to Abraham and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave this land. I want you to leave your job. I don't know why exactly God did that. I was thinking about it early this morning and I thought to myself, maybe it was because he just wanted to get him away from the influence of his family because when his family started seeing him do some of the things that God was telling him to do, they were going to tell him he was crazy. But for whatever reason, God said, I want you to move. Then he goes on, and he makes Abraham three promises. In the second verse, I will make you a great nation, God says to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great. and You will be a blessing. In the third verse, God continues, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Three promises that God makes to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham's old even at this time. No descendants. And yet, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to make your name great. Ever heard of Abraham? I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And then he says, all the people groups of the world are going to be blessed or better off 
Because of you, Abraham, and all three faith traditions believe those promises in some way apply to their specific beliefs and traditions of their faith. Now, that's the history part. But there's a, there's a real personal part. I want you to imagine this. Some time has passed since Abraham's first encounter with God. He's getting older and he's getting older and he's constantly remembering the promises that God made him. But he knows he still has no children. His wife is old. The odds of that are very long. The chances of that probably not going to happen. But God has made this promise that he's going to make him a great nation, but the prospects aren't looking too good. Another thing that he's worried about is if he should die without any descendants, according to that culture, all of his assets, all of his, his land and his property and possessions would go to his number one servant, a man named Eleazar. If Abraham was to, to die, all that he owned would go to Eleazar. And that's the last thing that he wants to happen. And so he's going through all of this in his mind, and he's wondering about these promises, and he's wondering where God is. And so he says to God, what's going on? What about the promises? And he even says something like this, listen, I'm not even sure I care about the promises anymore. I just want a son. I want my own flesh and blood. I want a descendant to pass my, my estate too, if you will. God, what is going on? And here's what God says to Abraham. Genesis 15 and verse 4. And the word of the Lord came to him, to Abraham. He, and God said, this man, he's talking about Eleazar here, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. You know what God's saying to him? Abraham, I made you a promise. Quit worrying. I'm good for it. You can believe it. You can take it to the bank. I made you a promise. Eleazar, it's not going to be your heir. You're going to have a son. And then God goes on. He, he takes Abraham outside in the fifth verse. He says, look up at the sky and count the stars. If you can, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to Abraham, looking at the stars who light up the sky, so, so many. And he says, so shall your offspring be. Can you picture Abraham doing that? Can you picture him going out in this, in this desert air, in the darkness of night, looking up into the sky and seeing all of those stars and hearing God's words. Count them if you can. Count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. So many you can't count them. So shall your offspring be. I can see them. God was saying, Abraham, you got to believe me, man. Abraham, you got to trust me. The problems that I've made to you are true and will happen. 
you will be a great nation. Your name will be great. Every people group on the earth will be blessed because of you. You've got to trust me. And in this conversation that God is having with Abraham, the next statement that is made is one of the most powerful statements in all of God's word. This, the writer of Genesis records this statement. And I believe that in this statement, it, it, it begins to shed light. It begins to give us an idea. We begin to see how God defines the relationship between himself and man. It answers questions. This one statement that he's about to make, it answers questions. Where do I stand with God? And, and how can I know where I stand with God? And how can I know that's true? And how can I know he cares? And does he have a plan for me? Is there a future for me? How can infinite me have some kind of relationship with this eternal and all-powerful God? And what is this statement? Here it is. It's verse 6 of chapter 15. It simply says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Bestowed upon him righteousness. Gave him righteousness. Made his standing before God a righteous standing. He made Abraham's standing right before himself. Abraham standing, looking into the heavens, says, I, I, I don't have children, I don't, I don't have any descendants, but you're going to make me a great nation. And you're going to make my name great. And you're going to bless all people groups through me? Okay. I believe you. And at that moment, and this is why the statement is so powerful, at that, at that moment, that, 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 that single moment of faith, that, that, that expression of belief, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you now the gift of right standing with me. Now think about what that means. Abraham, all you've ever done wrong, all that you ever will do wrong, I'm setting that aside and I'm accepting you just as you are simply because you believed me. Trust, trusting God, resulted in right standing with God. He believed God. It's so simple. Are you thinking like I'm thinking? It's too good to be true. Maybe because it's so simple. Maybe because it seems too good to be true. We kind of have missed this wonderful, wonderful and powerful and life-changing truth in our lives. And these three faith traditions, they've missed it too. <laughs> right? I mean, before these faith traditions even started, God had this conversation with Abraham. And because Abraham believed God, God said to him, the relationship between you and me is in right standing. The Jews come along. 
And they would say, you want right standing with God? You've got to be Jewish. You've got to follow our customs. You've got to be circumcised. You've you got to celebrate our feasts. And all of you who weren't born Jews, if you want to be in right standing with God, you can come to us and, and you can be converted to Jew. And we'll just kind of graft you in. We'll make you a part of, of who we are. But if you want to be in right standing with God, you've got to be Jewish. They come along some six, seven hundred years later, and they would say through their prophet Muhammad, if you want right standing with God, you've got to do a couple of things. Number one, you've got to believe in the one true God, Allah. And you have to believe his prophets. And you have to do many, many works of righteousness. You've got to do good deeds, certainly more good deeds in your life than bad deeds. But you'll never really, really know. You'll never, ever know until you die, what your standing is with God. And when you die, you'll be told whether or not you're in right standing or, or you're in wrong standing with God. You can't know till the end. But doing good works and doing righteous deeds, that's what it's about. That's what's important. And listen, the Christians, we've been arguing about this for 2,000 years. How are we going to be in right standing with God. It started right after Jesus ascended into heaven and they started arguing among themselves. Well, you know, I think you've you got to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. And, and you too have to follow some of the traditions that Jesus himself followed. And certainly you need to keep Moses' law. That's going to be necessary. Christians have been divided on this right through the Reformation up until this very day. The Christians are divided on how to have a right standing with God. And so the question becomes as we get ready to close, so what is it? This is what you have to wrestle with. What is it? What makes me be in right standing with God? Is it birth? Is it my heritage? Is it the family I was born in? Do I get born into a family that gives me right standing with God? Is it behavior? Is it the, the good deeds that I do? On some level, I believe, on some level, most of the people in here feel like that impacts it in some way. If I do certain things, good things, good deeds, righteous deeds, on some level... I could almost say all of us on some level. We beat ourselves up when we don't do certain things. It's mess. And so is it? Is it on behavior? Or is it belief? Is it a combination or one or the other or two or three? I tell you again, before any of these three faith traditions before Judaism and Islam and Christianity, God kind of lets us in on the secret, if you will, of how to be in right standing with him. And God makes no mistakes, but if God made a mistake, he just made this too simple. He made it so simple that I think so many of us have missed it. That the God of the universe would come down because he sees the mess that we have created and that we are in, and he involves himself in our mess. 
And he gives us a way. He provides for us a way to be in right standing with him. And that way is to believe him, to trust him. Not through works, not through the family. But he says to us, will you trust me? Will you believe me? Now listen. You don't have to understand to believe. And a lot of you here are allowing your your lack of understanding of how all of this works to separate you from what God has for you. I've got to understand this doesn't make sense to me. I want you to, again, picture Abraham standing and looking at those stars, this old man with an old wife who God has made these incredible promises to. And God has made promises to you, promises like eternal life, Promises like joy in the midst of difficult times. He's made promises to you. Promises about grace and promises about mercy. And you don't understand. Well, guess what? Neither do I. But I believe it. Abraham looks at those stars. He thinks about the promises and he goes, okay, I'm going to believe it. And here's something else. You don't have to get cleaned up to believe. As a matter of fact, you don't say, once I get my life straight, once I get this mess all cleaned up, then I'm going to come to God, and God, whatever your promises are for me, then I will believe. And so it's hindering us. And so, and so the mess is hindering us. A lack of understanding is hindering us. And it's so simple. Just believe me. Here's the question you have to answer. I want you to discuss it in your groups. I want you to discuss it with your family at home or wrestle with it on your own. Wrestle, reconcile where you stand on this question. And here it is. Which of the following best reflects your view? And why? God accepts me based upon my birth. God accepts me based upon my behavior. God accepts me based upon my belief. This is really not a great place to stop. I, I want to say to you, don't live beneath your privilege as a child of God. God loves you. God involves himself in your mess. Believe him. Now, if this has conjured up more questions in your mind than answers, then come and talk to me about that. We're going to continue this, 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 this way of thinking, this line of thought, this, this reasoning, this different perspective next week. If all you have to do is believe, why are there so many rules? We'll talk about that a little bit next week. I hope you'll be back for that. Let me invite you to stand. Everybody standing. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you in your sovereignty and your providence and your power that you have preserved your word for us today on this day in this place. You've preserved it for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I thank you and I praise you for that. Lord, as we sang earlier, grow our faith. Give us faith to believe. Help us to believe. Help us to look past the the misunderstanding. Help us to look past the confusion and just look at you and believe. As we begin to look at some of the promises you've made to us, 
that are bigger than the promises you made to Abraham, I pray that we would just believe you and experience your power, your love, your guidance, your direction, your grace, your mercy, that we might experience that in our lives. May that be the experience of every individual in this room. I pray as fervently as I know how. And I pray in your name.